Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we continue our study through the book of Mark, and we come to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, the Bible introduces us to a man with a withered hand. And what a fascinating story this is. How amazing it is that even the Pharisees knew that Jesus could not pass the opportunity by to heal this man with a withered hand. Well, you know what, my friends? We are going to see ourselves in this man with a withered hand. And what we are going to discover in today's sermon is we all have a withered hand in our life. For some, it may be insecurity. For some, it may be anxieties. For some, it could be past hurts. But no matter who we are, we have a withered hand. And you know what? Jesus, his command to this man that day with the withered hand is the same command for us today. Stretch forth your hand. Friends, we're going to learn how we can walk in obedience. We are going to learn how we can follow Jesus in today's sermon. I can't wait to share this with you. I'm glad you're listening to today's episode of Awakened to Grace. Mark chapter 3, we are in a series walking through the gospel of Mark. Well, just like chapter 1, just like chapter 2, we are now going to be introduced to a man that the Bible doesn't give us his name. And the Bible doesn't tell us his age. The Bible doesn't tell us what town he grew up in. The Bible tells us nothing of his parents. We don't know anything about his past. We don't know if he was born with a deformed hand. We don't know if he suffered an accident that crippled his hand. The only thing we know is that Scripture says he was a man with a withered hand. And today we're going to see ourselves again in this man. You know, one of the things that I look forward to the most about heaven, I think, I hope God just gives me a binder that I can check off everybody that I want to meet because there's a lot of people I want to meet. And you know, some of the people that I want to meet are the people that Scripture tells us so much about them, yet so little about them. And the man with the withered hand is such a person. I can't wait to meet him one day in heaven. I want to know everything about this day. I want to know. There are so many questions that I have to ask him. I want to know how long his hand had been deformed. I want to know how it happened. I want to know what brought him to the synagogue that day. I want to know if he had ever heard of Jesus prior to that day. I got a lot of questions about him. It was J.C. Ryle who once said, how dull and earthy that mind must be that never thinks of heaven. I can't wait to meet the paralytic. I can't wait to meet the man with leprosy. I can't wait to meet the woman with the blood issue. And just like, it, I, it, I, I don't know, maybe an investigation journalist, I just want to write their story. I just want to know every detail. I have so many questions to ask. And so today, as we put ourselves in the pages of this text, there's so many questions. Some scholars think that maybe this man was planted there by the Pharisees, but 
You know, I, I don't get that sense when I read the text. I really don't feel in my heart that this man was planted by the Pharisees. I, I have a feeling that this man regularly went to the house of God. I have a feeling that he actually had probably a certain seat or a certain corner or maybe a back shadow that he often said and every time he went. I pictured him getting there very early so that he wouldn't have to interact with others. I picture him being shy. Actually, let's take it a step further. I picture him being vulnerable. As we know, they wore long flowing robes in that day, and whether it was his right hand or his left hand, the scripture doesn't say, but I picture his normal hand being out of his flowing robes, but the withered hand, I picture him having tucked deep into his robe. I picture him keeping it hidden. There's a vulnerability about him. Like the man that we saw in chapter 2, who I believe was an incredibly vulnerable thing, probably a very embarrassing thing to be strapped to a stretcher and be lowered from a roof for all eyes to be on him. Today I want to put ourselves in the synagogue. I want to put ourselves in his seat. And what must it have been when the master said, come here. See, I think this man probably avoided people, probably avoided crowds, and probably went through life with his withered hand hidden. If you're going to understand chapter 3, you're going to have to go back into chapter 2 to really understand the context Of what is going on. Because when Mark writes, again, Jesus went into the synagogue. And then when he says, a man was there with a withered hand. And then verse 2 says, and they watched him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. That they might accuse him. Now why are they accusing him? And why why is Mark telling us that this is on the Sabbath. You have to understand, Jesus has already been in a verbal exchange with the Pharisees in chapter 2. If you look back at chapter 2, beginning in verse number 22, Jesus says something that, if you don't understand the context, it can make you scratch your head. Jesus said, you don't pour new wine into old wine skins. I'm so excited because we just recorded a new podcast with our great friend, Pastor Doug Tweed. And I asked Pastor Doug to sit down and explain what Jesus meant with this. And we'll be releasing that podcast. And it's such a fascinating listen. I hope you will listen to it. But what you have to understand is what Jesus meant when they would pour new wine into an old wineskin. The problem was that new wine would expand the wineskin. And the old wineskin had grown brittle. 
and would not expand any further. So if he poured new wine that is bound to expand into an old wineskin, what's going to happen? It's going to burst. You're going to destroy the wineskin as well as the wine. Therefore, new wine had to be poured into new wineskins. And what Jesus is saying when he says that he comes for new wineskin, what he means is he's going to take the old covenant, what is old, he's going to take the old law, that is the old covenant, the old wineskin, and he's going to give something far better, far superior, brand new, the new covenant. And you can't pour new wine, the Holy Spirit. You cannot pour new wine into old wine skins. It'll burst. And what Jesus is saying is he's come to make all things new. And the old is going to be obsolete, according to the book of Hebrews. And so when we come to the idea of the Sabbath, something that the Pharisees held and guarded with all of their might, what does Jesus tell them at the end of chapter 2? It's fascinating. Jesus says, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. What is he saying, church? Verse number 28 of chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2, he blows the minds of the Pharisees, and he angers them unbelievably when he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What a shocking statement by Jesus. And do you know what Jesus is saying? Listen to me. Say amen if you're with me right now. He is saying that rest, the kind of rest that God intends for us, the kind of soul rest, I'm not talking about the rest that you try to sleep for eight hours. How many of you have ever tried to sleep for eight hours and you wake up as exhausted as before you went to bed? How many of you tried to get body rest, but the problem is you got to have soul rest? And this is why what Jesus is teaching us, the new way that he's talking about, this new wineskin that he means, is that rest is not found in a day. It's not found in a ritual. It's not found in a religious thing. No, real rest is now found in a person. And that person is Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, all of you who are heavy laden and burdened, he says, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why Paul said these light and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that awaits us. Amen. Let me tell you, when you have Christ's well-fitted yoke, your burdens will be light. Amen. These light And momentary afflictions. Mm. Rest is found in a person. Not in a place. Not in eight hours of sleep. But in Jesus. And so he says, the Son of Man. Remember we linked that last week? When the Pharisee said, who is this man? You remember that in chapter 2? Remember we said in the Greek, that is a derogatory construction. It comes out a little bit in the English. 
Who is this man? But in the original, in the Greek, it is so derogatory. They're saying, who does this human think he is? And Jesus says, you want me to tell you who I am? I'm the son of man. In other words, I am Emmanuel, God with us. I am God incarnate. I am God in human flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. You see what he's saying? And now he says the son of man, God incarnate, he is Lord of the Sabbath. So now Mark picks up in chapter 3 and in this fast pace, in this quick rhythm that Mark writes in. Now, watch how he paints the scene. Again, Jesus goes into the synagogue. Oh, he's going to set it all up for us. You can put yourself right here in this Jewish synagogue. And again, he goes into the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. The Bible don't tell us his name. Boy, I can't wait to get to heaven. Hey, where's the man with the withered hand? <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> Can't wait to find out. That's all we know about him. Nothing else. Verse number two, and they watched him to see if they would heal him on the Sabbath. You know what I love about that verse is the Pharisees knew that Jesus couldn't pass him up. Listen, I think Jesus was so known for his compassion, the Pharisees said to themselves, watch this. He won't be able to walk by him without healing him. Watch him, and then we'll get him. <laughs> that they might accuse him. J.C. Ryle points out, that great Bible commentator, he points out a great truth here. He says, no servant is above his master. And if they watched Jesus in order that they might accuse him, friends, make no mistake, the world is watching you today. The world is watching me today, watching to see if we mess up, watching to see if we misstep, watching to see if they might accuse us. No servant is above his master. If they treated Christ that way, they'll treat you that way. That's why you shouldn't be surprised when people gossip about you, lie about you, tell things about you that are not true. Listen, don't, don't be offended. Don't, be, don't, be, don't, get, don't get all huffy about that. If they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to you. You're fine. You're okay. All right. <laughs> now, verse 3, to me, is the most intriguing verse of the chapter. And there's lots in this chapter. It goes on to talk about the sin of blasphemy, how every sin may be forgiven except for the sin of blasphemy. He says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you'll never be forgiven of it. People, that's one of the main questions people ask me as a pastor. What if I've committed the sin of blasphemy? Well, let, let me just help you right there. If you are concerned that you've ever committed the sin of blasphemy, that right there tells you that you haven't. Because if you had, you would not care. What is the sin of blasphemy? Ultimately, it is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the world? Now, the church is a different matter. 
The church, when it comes to the church, the Holy Spirit does multiple things. He indwells us. He baptizes us. He comforts us. He guides us. He instructs us. He anoints us. He prays through us. He strengthens us. On and on and on and on. He intercedes through us. Multiple, multiple things the Holy Spirit does because he resides. But to the world, he has one function. And you know what his function is to the lost sinner? To convict. To draw them to Jesus. If a sinner feels that conviction and rejects it, And continues to reject. And continues to reject. And continues to reject. And ultimately, that person dies in their sin. What, what is the sin that cannot be forgiven? They've rejected the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That, my friend, is the unpardonable sin. There are many things in this chapter. A house divided against itself will not stand. Bind the strong man. There's many things in this chapter. But let me tell you the sweetest verse to me in this chapter. Verse number three. So Jesus goes into the synagogue. There's a man there with a withered hand. The Pharisees are watching him to see if he will heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. But verse number three. Now, we, we don't know how long passed. See, oh, I got so many questions. Did they do any singing? I don't know. Did they read the Torah? Did someone give a lecture? How long of the service had we? I don't know. But at some point, Jesus calls the man out of the shadows. Look at it, verse 3. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. I don't want to read too much into the text, but I'm speaking as a man with a handicap. I'm speaking as a man who doesn't like to walk in a crowded place knowing that everyone's looking at me. I hate to walk through restaurants and bump into the backs of people's chairs. and I, I, I hate trying to step up onto a curb and having someone take my arm and I'm trying to feel for the... It's an embarrassing feeling. I hate walking up here in front of, and trying to walk down off this. Have you ever watched me walk down this platform? I take baby steps. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And when Jesus says to this man, come here, I'm telling you. I think this man died a little bit inside. I bet he thought, oh, no. See, I picture this man getting there early just so people wouldn't look at him. I picture this man sitting in the back just so people wouldn't stare at him. I picture this man avoiding chit-chat. I picture as soon as the service was over, he was the first one out the door because he didn't want to interact with all of these people. And now for Jesus to call him forward? No, thank you. But do you know what the man does? Rather than walking out the door, rather than saying no thanks, rather than saying I'll just stay right here where I'm comfortable, because let me tell you, as a man with a handicap, you value comfort. 
And rather than valuing what was comfortable, here's what he did. He got up and he came forward. If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this. This man had an opportunity to say no. This man had an opportunity to reject this offer. And you know what I wonder? I wonder if, see, again, I don't don't want to read too much into it, but I'm just telling you what I feel in my heart out of this text. I think this man was a regular at the house of God. I think he came every Sabbath day. I think he sat in the same spot every Sabbath day. And I think he came hungry for the things of God. I think he came to listen to the word of God. But what he thought was going to be an average, ordinary Sabbath day was in reality the day for his miracle. And I don't think he had any idea what awaited him that day. But see, he was faithful to come to the house of God. And he was there and God had a miracle waiting for him. Amen? Oh, how often you and I casually come to God's house. How often you and I come out of routine. Yes, our heart is right. It's in the right place. We want to hear the word. We want to worship God. But do you ever come expecting a miracle? Do you ever come expecting God to do something great in your life? So this man had an opportunity to say no, but no. Do you know what this man does? I believe in all of his vulnerability, he stands up and he walks toward the master. If you're going to take notes, write this down. In a moment, God's going to ask him to do something that he can't do, which was stretch out his hand. And see, you and I, we love to go to the miracle. We love to go to the healing. We love to go to the explosive part. But let me tell you where the miracle first began. It began by God asking him to do first what he could do. And see, when he was faithful and when he was obedient in what he could do, that's when he was obedient when God said, do what you can't do, stretch forth your hand. And so it is in your life, so it is in my life. There are things right now that God may be asking you to do, things right now that God is calling you to, things right now that God is placing upon your heart that right now you can do it. You do have the ability to do it. And there may be other things that you're praying for God to do that's moving the mountain. It's the impossibility. It's the thing that you can't do. Well, friends, don't miss the thing that you can do. Am I making sense to anybody today? What would have happened if Jesus had said, come here? And he goes, no. Friends, he would have missed his miracle. What would have happened if he stood up and went for the exit? He would have missed his miracle. Friends, what I want you, oh, I I, got to get it. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I got to get this out. You're waiting for God to do the impossible. But the fact is, God may be waiting on you to do what is possible. Don't miss the first step. And the first step is obedience. So what are we neglecting? What are we not doing that we could be? How are we not serving in a way that we could be? 
What are we not giving in a way that we could be? What are we neglecting that would actually step us out in greater faith? This man could have missed the greatest miracle of his entire life. But see, no, he did what was possible, and he was ready when God asked him to do what was impossible. Now, verse number three, he calls him out. In other words, it gets him out of his safety, out of his comfort zone. He gets him out of his safety spot. Let me, if you're gonna write notes, write this down. The people who God uses are the people who's willing to get vulnerable. They're willing to be embarrassed for Jesus. They're willing to possibly fail. They're willing to step outside their comfort zones. Are you willing to do that? Let me tell you an area that God is dealing with me in right now. As we are working our way toward this great healing service. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is speaking so clearly to us. The Holy Spirit, listen... They're going to be healings. Listen, I'm telling you right now, right now, there's going to be emotional healing that takes place that day. Unprecedented. There's going to be mental illness healed that day. There are going to be physical body healings that day. There are going to be addictions that are broken that day. There are going to be soul healing that day. We're going to see salvation. I'm telling you, God is going to do the miraculous that day. Amen? Amen? But all the while, you know what Satan's telling me? Satan's saying, you're telling me that a blind man's going to host a healing service? Do you know how foolish that sounds? Do you know how contradictory that that sounds? Do you know how many people may laugh at that? You know how many people would shake their heads and say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all? Friends, my responsibility isn't to make sense of anything. My responsibility is to take my withered hand and stretch it forth when Jesus says, stretch forth. Amen? My responsibility is to step out in faith. And that's your responsibility. When Jesus walked the earth, there wasn't but one thing that impressed him. Not one time in the scriptures was Jesus ever impressed with talent. Never one time did he say, oh, look at that talent. Never once did talent ever impress him. You know the only thing that ever impressed him? Faith. Faith. That was the only thing. And the Bible says in Luke 18, Jesus says when he comes back to this earth, he's looking for one thing. He's looking for people of faith. Amen? And let me tell you, faith is not reasoning. Faith is not logic. Faith doesn't make sense. Faith steps out and says, I don't know how. I don't know when. But God will be God. Amen? And God's calling us to stretch forth our, willing, our, our, our withered hand. But the question is willingness. Are we willing to be embarrassed? Are we willing to be foolish? This man was willing. 
in his vulnerability, he got up and he came forward in front of everybody with all eyes on him, not knowing what the master was going to do. And so Jesus turns his attention. You know, it's amazing how Jesus always has something to say to everyone in the crowd. And Jesus is going to turn his attention to the religious ones. And you know what he... Listen. He's going to ask him a question. Verse 4. So is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, to do good on the Sabbath, or to do harm? To save life or kill? And you know what, you know what these Pharisees... Oh, these Pharisees. Boy, they... Mm, my blood's boiling even right now. These guys make me so mad. When we get to verse 6, like little spoiled brats, listen, in verse 5, he's going to stretch out his hand, and the Bible says his hand is going to be restored just like the other hand. Now let me tell you, if you're there that day, and you watch a withered hand, a creative miracle... And you see it with your own eyes. How do you not shake that hand? How do you not at least give him a high five? But no, they storm out. What selfish, religious. They weren't there to glorify God. They weren't there to pray. They weren't there to learn anything from God. They were there to be high and mighty and judge everyone and everything. So Jesus turns his attention to them and he says, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do good or should you do harm? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? (laughs) And the Bible says that they were silent. You don't want to argue with Jesus. You're going to lose that argument every time. And the Bible says something shocking. It says... Verse 5, it says that he looked around with anger. Let me tell you, we don't often think of Jesus as angry. But let me tell you, things make him angry. And do you realize that there is a righteous anger? The Bible says we can be angry and sin not. And what that is, is a righteous anger. And this is what Jesus had. He had a righteous anger toward these people who were self-centered and full of arrogance. Anger is not always bad. There is a righteous anger. As a matter of fact, if you are someone that you are not quite sure where you fit, what God wants you to be doing, where you're supposed to be serving, let me tell you a great tip on finding where you are supposed to be serving. You begin to ask yourself what makes you angry. And when you begin to find out what that righteous anger stirs in you, That's where you're supposed to serve. When I was younger and before I became a pastor, do you know how I knew that I was supposed to be a shepherd? Because the thing that made me the most angry were Christians dying in dying churches. Watching churches just wither away with dead worship and dead teaching and just no spiritual growth. And that showed me, when when I realized how angry that made me, I realized I'm called to feed God's people. You talk, look, take Glenn Stewart out to lunch. He actually likes the Brazilian steakhouse, just so you know. 
take Glenn out to lunch. And you cannot talk to Pastor Glenn without figuring out what makes him angry. You know what makes him angry? Kids who are growing up in trash homes, who know nothing of God, and without God intervening in their life, they don't stand a chance without the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk to Glenn and see what makes him angry? Let kids grow up in church, graduate, and then walk away from the Lord in their college years. You don't have to talk to him long without figuring out what makes him a righteous anger. And so who's he called to work with? Those people. If you talk to Pastor Bill, see what makes him angry as we see homeless all throughout our city. And see, you will find where you're supposed to serve. If, if kids not knowing the Lord stirs a righteous anger, then you're called to work with kids. If seeing homeless about and, 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 and not having the help that they need, if that stirs a righteous anger in you, you're supposed to work with the homeless. If seeing children without foster parents or seeing children unadopted, then guess what? If that stirs your anger, you may be called to foster. You may be called to adopt. If people not having the Bible in their own language makes you angry, you may be called to serve in Bible translation. And you can go on and on and on. The thing that stirs the righteous anger in you is the thing most likely that you are called to do. And so Jesus looks at these Pharisees with anger. Boy, isn't that stunning? We think of Jesus as all compassion. But let me tell you, sin makes him angry. And so it is today. Sin angers him today. Don't harbor it in your life. Don't allow it in your life. And so he looks at them with anger. And then it says, grieved at their hardness of heart. You know why Jesus has something to say to everybody? Because his eyes of flame of fire sees every single heart this morning. He sees your heart today. He knows if your heart is open to the truth and if it's not. He knows if you're playing games or if you're for real today. He knows if you're here for the right reasons or here for the wrong reasons. He knows if your heart today is rocky soil or if it's good soil or thorny soil. He knows. He knows it, he knows it all. And he looks at these religious people and he's grieved. By their hardness of heart. See, just like that synagogue that day, we're all today, we're gathered in the house of God here today. What's your motive? Why are you here? Are you playing games today? Are you part of the religious crowd? Are you here to be seen today? Are you here to feel better about yourself today? Because let me tell you, the gospel does not make you feel better about yourself the gospel will not build your self-esteem. No, you know what the gospel does? The gospel cuts and wounds. <laughs> the gospel cuts and wounds. And the gospel convicts of sin. And the gospel shows us our shortcoming. But you know what that same gospel does? That same gospel anoints and soothes and binds up the wound and heals it with the grace of God. And he looks at them with anger and he, 
He's grieved by their hardness of heart. But now he's going to shift gears again. Now, verse 5, now he's going to look at the man with the withered hand. Now, how much time passed? I don't know. I picture for the man with the withered hand, I think it took an eternity. That's one of the questions I want to ask him. I know for me, before Sadie and I got married, I did all kinds of weddings. I wrote the ceremony. And to me, the ceremony part goes by like that. Well, let me tell you, when I was up there and I was getting married, and it, and it was the one I wrote, I was going, when is this thing going to be over? I was getting woozy. It felt like forever. And I don't know how long he stood up there. I don't know how long it was that all eyes were on him. But now Jesus shifts his attention. (laughs) He goes from that anger over the religious people to that great compassion for God's people. And he looks at that man. Oh, to see the look in the eyes of the Savior would have been something. And he looks at that man and he asks him to do what was impossible. Can you picture the man's arm tucked deep inside him? Can you picture his robe, the sleeve hanging by the side and the man just keeping his arm in a safe, comfortable spot where people didn't look and people didn't stare and people didn't question. And then Jesus asked him to do the most uncomfortable. You think getting up and coming forward was uncomfortable? Now Jesus is really going to embarrass him. Now Jesus is really going to stretch him out. Now Jesus is really going to put him in a vulnerable spot. Jesus is going to say, stretch forth your hand. What hand? My withered hand? The deformed hand? The broken hand? The hand that I don't want anyone to know? The hand I don't want anyone to see? You're going to have me stretch that out? But see, why was he able to do it? Because when Jesus asked him to do what he could, he did. And now when Jesus is going to ask him to do what he can't, he's willing to try. There's some of you here, my pastor's heart for you today. There's some of you, you're not doing what you can. You're not doing what you can. You could be a stronger witness. You could be a stronger light. You don't serve as you could serve. You don't give your skills and your abilities like you could give them. You don't tithe and you don't give financially what you could. You don't give of your mental capacities. You don't give the best of you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You withhold. And then there's some of you who you don't give because you don't think you can. You don't give because there's something withered there. 
You think you can't pray in front of people. You think you can't share your story. You think you can't lead anyone to Jesus. You think you can't talk confidently about your faith. You don't think that you could become a tither. You don't think that you could step out in faith and witness to that person or, or engage in this ministry or you could never see yourself doing this or doing that. And like a withered hand, you just, you just keep it hidden. You keep it tucked. Now, let me tell you, if you'll begin to do what you can, what God asks of you initially, God will help you do what you can't. And so Jesus looks at this man and says, stretch forth your hand. And the most unbelievable thing happened. Not a healing, a creative miracle. And by faith, when he stretches out his hand, his hand is restored just like his other. Can you believe that? Well, I can. You know why? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And without him, nothing was made. Amen? Amen? By the word of his power, he created all things. By the word of his power, he holds all things together. He is the creator. And what a small thing it is for the creator to reform a hand. What a small thing it is for the creator to reform a retina. What a small thing it is for the creator to create. What a small thing. So what are you withholding? Some of you are withholding from the Lord. Whereas God wants to do explosive things in your life. But see, he can't. You know why? Because you're old wineskins. He can't pour new wine into old wine skins. And he can't do what he wants in your life because you're waiting for the miracle. You're waiting for the big thing. But see, you're still over here at the little thing. And God's saying, obey me in the little thing. And some of us are going, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let's learn today. From the man with the withered hand. If you'll do what you can, God will enable you to do what you can't. Say amen if you're with me. God's given me a word for somebody right now. You're asking God to restore your marriage. You're asking God to do what you can't. Let me tell you what you can do. Love him, love her unconditionally. Serve him. Serve her in their sin. Serve them in their rejection. You're asking God to do what you can't. Do what you can. And stretch forth your hand. All over today, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.
What's God challenging you with today? What's He saying to you? What have you put on the back burner? What has God made you vulnerable toward? What what has He asked you to do that it feels embarrassing? It was embarrassing for the leper to kneel in front of a rabbi when he was unclean. It was embarrassing for the paralytic to be strapped to a stretcher and lowered from a roof. And it was embarrassing for this man with the withered hand to stretch out what was broken and what was deformed and what had withered. But see, they did it. And God met them at the point of their need. God met them at the point of their faith. How is God stretching your faith? What's God asking you to do that you haven't been doing? (laughs) Illuminated Holy Spirit, reveal it to us. Show us each personally, personally, individually. spirit many years ago Sadie and I wanted to be tithers but we couldn't so we thought it's not that we don't want to it's that we can't oh how I sat there with a withered hand and then several years ago we began to stretch forth our hand Let me tell you, if you'll start to do what you can, God will enable you to do what you can't. Some of you are missing out on some of the greatest blessings because you're withholding from the Lord. Some of you say, Chad, there's no margin in my time. I can't serve on a team. I can't can't do things for the kingdom of God because I'm too covered up. I'll do it at another time. I'll do it when the kids are grown. I'll do it when the job settles down. I'll do it after we move. I'll do it when life said no. It's disobedience, my friend. God's saying, come here. Are you going to sit there? Or are you going to obey Jesus? And then those big things, the things that are far out of your control, the things that you can't change. Well, you know what? God will help you with those. But you you have to obey first. Get up out of that lazy chair and say, oh God, I'm coming to you. I don't know if I'm going to fail. I don't know if I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what the end result is going to be, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to leave the results with you. And God's going to touch your life. God's going to help you. God's going to heal you. God's going to restore you, my friend. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts Podcast. 
and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.